I'm Pastor Mike Winger, and this is Bible Thinker, the program dedicated to thinking biblically about everything. All right. Hey, guys, this is uh, Pastor Mike Winger, and this is uh, the first time I've done something quite just like this today. This is going to be a uh, Q&A and subscriber hangout. So what I'm going to be doing is I'm actually going to be with you watching the comments section, responding to your guys' questions, and um, trying to give you answers to questions that hopefully relate to theology, apologetics, um, and the Christian faith in some sense, in some way, shape, or form. But I will lay out a few um, ground rules ahead of time. Let me let me do this because I don't want there to be confusion or misunderstandings on these things. Um, so, here's the deal. Um, when I ask, when I say, hey, I'm ready for another question, I'll just watch the chat and then you guys will have to ask your questions. I know this is a clumsy way to do it, but I don't know a better way to do it. When your questions come up, I'll just grab one and I will answer it. And then I will ask again for another question. I'm so sorry if this means you're putting the same question in multiple times. I apologize. That's uh, I don't have a better way to do this. Maybe some, one of you guys could help me learn a better a better way to do submissions for questions. The truth is, if I opened this live stream up to questions ahead of time, I would have I'd already be full. You wouldn't ask any questions. So I'm trying to really interact with you and your questions here on the live stream. So, um, uh, so let me think. There was something else I wanted to tell you. Um, don't remember what it was. <laughs> so, um, actually, I'm preparing right now because I'm going to be doing a uh, uh, a conference, speaking at a conference this weekend, the Rethink Conference in Orange County, which is actually booked out. You can't get a seat anymore for it. Um, and I'm just doing a, one of the breakout sessions. I'm not one of the main speakers, but I'm very privileged to, that I was asked by Stan to Reason to come out and share on fulfilled prophecy. So I'm preparing my content for that, which meant that I don't really have time to spend, you know, 20, 30 hours preparing for today's live stream. I'm doing spending a lot of time on that. So here we are. Um, let me grab your chat and let me bring it over here so I can respond to you guys. This is going to be a hangout, pretty casual stuff. Um, it's good to see you there. I see uh, Micaiah, Jonathan, uh, Yolande, um, a bunch of them, Skolin, Sean, Eddie, Landry. Thank you guys so much for being there. Um, let's just jump right in. AJ's there also, I think, today. AJ's there, and he should be helping to make sure the chat stays Christian. Not that Christians have to be in there, but Christian in character. Um, yep, there you are. Hey, AJ. Uh, so just super casual. We'll see how this goes. If this particular kind of video is lame, then so be it. <laughs> but if you find it insightful that, that, you know, the content and the questions and answers, and hopefully it's a benefit to you. Um, all right. And, and possibly someone will go through and watch this video and put timestamps in the video description, just saying like, when I'm answering what questions, if someone has the heart and time to do that, I will pin that comment to the top so that in the future people can get right to the question they're interested in. So uh, thanks so much for being here with me. I will just jump right now into ask, answering your guys' questions. So go ahead and put something in the comments. There's a little bit of a delay between when I talk and when you hear it. So I'll be waiting for a moment. Um, oh, there's one right there. Uh, what did Jesus mean in Matthew 5.20? That's the question. What did Jesus mean in Matthew 5.20? So let's pull up Matthew 5.20. Let's take that question. Okay, and I brought, I, it should be able to put this on the screen for you as well. Here we are, Matthew 5.20. And I might, if things get slow, I might share some stuff about the Passion Translation today because I've been digging and I found some things that are even more concerning. Um, but if not, then I can do that on a future video. We'll see. And I don't know if any of you guys watched James White's uh, 
uh, video today, uh, his his live stream, but he did talk a little bit about me, and I might mention some of the things that he said there, a, a, a couple thoughts I have on that. But next week is when he, I think, is, or Thursday is when he's going to be actually doing a full video response to my video on Calvinism. I'm interested to hear what he says there. I'm just really hoping he understands my arguments and represents them correctly. Even if, if, if he proves me wrong, I'm fine with that. I just want it to be proving me wrong and not a straw man, um, which I know he wouldn't do on purpose, but I'm hoping that doesn't happen on accident. So Matthew 5.20, it says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness ex- exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is a great, this is a great scripture. Um, sometimes in the Bible, we have these verses that grab our attention and Personally, my own personal opinion is that it's so attention grabbing because God wants us to focus on this and not feel settled in our hearts till we figure out what it means because its meaning is so important. The, the, the issue here is that the scribes and Pharisees who often get ridiculed, we often think scribes and Pharisees were just way off base in every way, shape or form. But that's not accurate. If you're carefully looking at what Jesus says to them, they're not wrong about everything. They have the commands of God, then they have the added commands of men, and they change the priorities between the two. That's absolutely true. But they were strict, by the book, people who were really striving for righteousness. And Jesus is saying to the scribes and Pharisees, you guys, even with all your striving, you are not making it. You're still sinners falling short. And then he tells the people, you would have to be more righteous than the most righteous people you know. Because to them, the scribes and Pharisees were not, oh, hypocrites. No, no, they were the righteous people of of, of all the people they knew. They were so righteous, so religious in a good sense in, in their minds. And so uh, to say that we have to have righteousness that goes beyond the scribes and Pharisees, I would say, yes, we do. And that righteousness is the righteousness of Jesus imparted to us through his sacrifice on the cross, taking our place of sin to give us a place of righteousness with him. So we exceed their righteousness, not through the works of ourselves, but through his work, we are saved. So I think that that's um, uh, Matthew 5.20. Great, uh, great way to start, start the stream with great question. So let me, let me take another question right here. So I'm just kind of scanning around looking for you guys. Um, Judah Matthews asks, uh, how do we lovingly warn people about issues with the Passion Translation without wounding or stumbling them, especially people who don't know about translations? What two to three verses would you share as the most egregious? Um, I, I'll start at the end of that question. I don't think I can share the most egregious because I haven't been spending enough time with the translation. I, I spent a, a good amount of time with it, but even afterwards, um, I found more stuff in it that's also very concerning. There's a verse in Acts that I was like, wait, that's not right. There's other phrases in there too that I'm more and more worried about. I guess... Um, if you're, if you're talking to someone and they don't understand issues of translations, um, then I think what you need to do is help them, just remind them, start by saying this, like you do realize we're reading somebody, someone's translation of the Bible. We're not reading it as it was originally written. Like just, just that they would realize that. And then they go, well, yeah, I realize that. Okay. Now, if you're reading a translation, what's the most important thing about it? Isn't it that it's accurate to the original, that it doesn't add meaning or take away meaning, but it just communicates the meaning of the original. And then you can show them some of the verses that I I showed you. Um, Maybe ask them what some of their favorite Bible verses are, and then just go look those Bible verses up in the Passion and see if it's altered or changed, if the meaning's different. Since that verse is close to their heart, it might be a good opportunity to use it. I would say it's not a good idea to come at them with, in my opinion, with guns blazing, 
like the passion translation is ungodly it's of the enemy and da 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 and i think that you should maybe not do that tactic but instead realize that what you're doing is you're trying to educate them on a on an issue related to this translation and how faithful it is to the original um, and so I, I tried to do some of that in, in my video and maybe that's, maybe you could just show them my video and say, Hey, what do you think of this video? Can you watch this? And then let me know your thoughts on it, your opinions. Ultimately though, with this kind of stuff, it always comes down to the fact that you, you ultimately can't persuade everybody. You can only be persuasive and be honest and be truthful, but they're going to do what they want with the information you give them. And you don't really have control over that. Um, so I, yeah, I think the passion translation is, is in my you know, final estimate is worse than the message, which I would not recommend for the same reasons. Well, similar reasons, but not as extreme. Um, it's, it's problematic and it's connected to a movement that is very questionable and that doesn't seem safe to hold to. <laughs> so yeah, those are some of the things. Um, let me take another question here. Um, I'm looking at these questions here. Um, Skolin says, how can we reconcile pluck your eye out when we have an advocate with the Father? Um, well, the phrase about Jesus, okay, the advocate with the Father is is First John. It talks about how if, if don't sin, but if any one of us does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Um, another scripture is where Jesus says, hey, if your right eye causes you to sin, right eye, pluck it out and uh, cast it from you. Um, I think this is obvious hyperbole. Um, Jesus is trying to draw attention to the fact that Whatever the cause of sin in our life is, we need to get rid of that thing. Uh, obviously, your eyes aren't the things causing you to sin. But the illustration is there that go to, go to extreme lengths, not in insane lengths, but extreme lengths in your battle against sin. And then the idea of um, having your uh, the advocate with the Father. I, I don't see how those two are connected. Like, I'll be forgiven from sin. Oh, wait. Oh, I see. Maybe you're, Maybe it's this. Maybe it's because Jesus says... It's better to uh, basically be brought into eternal life missing an eye than it is to be cast into hell with all of your body. Again, I think this is an illustration and an allegory he's making. Um, there is a balance between if I sin, is Jesus really going to intercede for me and will I be saved? Or am I committing a sin that is really something I'm choosing instead of God? Like this is a, this is not a Christian who's sinning. This is... I am unsaved and this is the sin that I'm holding on to. I won't repent and turn to Christ because I refuse to let go of this sin. How do you know the difference between the two? Well, I'll just say this. If you're at all confused, repent. <laughs> is my sin issue going to keep me from knowing God? Is it, is, it, is, it, is it manifesting the reality that I'm not really a Christian? Or is it manifesting um, simply that I'm a believer who's having struggles? All I know is... While there's forgiveness for sin, we're not intended to feel entirely safe in our sin. Um, so I, I realize I may not fully be answering this question for you, but I, I think that maybe I shouldn't. Because think of all the people hearing me right now. One of them is a, is a believer that needs encouragement to repent, but also to trust in the grace of Christ. And then there's a non-believer who thinks they're a Christian and they're looking for excuses to be okay with the sin in their life. Yet that's the thing they're receiving instead of Jesus. And to them, I'm thinking, you got to repent and you got to turn to Christ. Either way, both of these people need to deal with the issue. So I, I don't want to um, make way for someone to be comfortable in an unsaved state. So I want to be cautious on how I handle that. Um, looking, I'm looking for another question to you, from you guys. Let's see. Um, 
Micaiah Cox says, uh, can you give some suggestions I could do as a teen in the church? Um, well, in my opinion, teenagers oftentimes are some of the greatest assets to the church if you're willing to be a servant involved in, in, in being helpful. A lot of other people are so busy with their lives, but sometimes the teenagers are able to have more time on their hands, and especially single people and younger single people in particular. They're able to have a lot more time on their hands for ministry, for serving the Lord. So you could be that that ministry helper who comes alongside and just says, I'll just do whatever. I just want to help out. I want to serve in any way I can. Um, but I would also recommend that, here's here's a thought, and it might be a little weird to share with you, Micaiah, but um, aim higher than the lives of your leaders. And I would say this to anybody. Seek to not have a, not be more spiritual than them, but don't just try to imitate them, try to imitate Christ. And if that means that in some area you recognize a failing of theirs, don't think that's an excuse for yourself, but instead say, Lord, I, I want to be um, learning from both the good and the bad that I see in front of me and my leaders. And I want to seek to grow into Christ-likeness, not just being like them. Um, so that's one thing One thing I'd recommend uh, to Micaiah. Um, uh, and also just take advantage of this incredible time you have to seek the Lord in um, study, studying, reading the word, in evangelizing, witnessing to your friends in, in school. You'll, there's a lot of people you're in school with. You'll never see them again in your life. You, some of the, you'll forget their names. You'll look at them in your book and be like, yeah, I kind of remember that person. <laughs> and here's a chance to impact their life while they're more receptive, believe it or not, now than they are when they're more ingrained in their views when they're in their 20s, 30s, 40s. So it's, you have a great evangelism opportunity there. Um, Okay, I'm looking down for another question. I apologize if I'm missing. I know I'm sure I'm missing a bunch of questions here, um, but the chat moves quickly. So let's look for another question. Um, SMB465 asks, what do you think about cessationists? Cessationists. Um, and uh, let me answer. I'm going to throw this out real quick because I just glanced down and saw Lance. Lance McChurk, Mc. Murchie, I'm sorry, McMurchie, not McChurchie. Uh, he asked if I had any response from Aaron Ra. No, no response from Aaron Ra. I made a video refuting Aaron Ra's video. Last I heard, he claimed he never watched my video, um, and he has not responded to it. Um, someone did a blog on it, and I don't know if I'll, I haven't even had time to read the blog to be honest. But if I have the ability, I might go back and respond to that blog. Um, but I, but there's more information on the R and Raw video. It's been it's been making its rounds and it's been stirring up conversations. And I got a call from a apologist guy who's involved in some great conversations that were started from that video. It's just kind of neat to hear about. Okay, so what do I think about cessationist SMB four six five? I think they're my brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, I kind of think nothing about them differently than I would about anyone else. And you might say, Mike, how is that possible? Because some people, right, like here's, okay, the cessationist is the person who says, and there's a whole variety within this group, but generally speaking, they say the gifts of the spirit as normative in the church or normally happening in the body of Christ, they stopped at the point at which, you know, the Bible was finished being written and spread throughout the church. Okay, so ceased. This, the gifts, generally speaking, have ceased. Now, there's a variety in there, but that's the general idea. Then there's the continuationist, which is the camp I'm in. And there's a variety in there as well. And we believe the gifts of the spirit continue so that God may give you a word of wisdom, word of knowledge, um, tongues, or a prophecy or something like that may give you those things. Now, within that group, there are some who are like, God will do that all the time at the highest possible expected rate. And I think that's wrong. Um, but I do believe that the, that the gifts continue. So 
in those two camps, sometimes we, we, we start digging our trenches and they lob some scary grenades at each other. And in one camp, the cessationist lobs a grenade and they say, you guys aren't speaking in tongues by the spirit. You're speaking in tongues by the enemy. That's the work of Satan. And then so they kind of demonize and say, you, you're like Christians that are possessed by Satan if you're speaking in tongues or prophecy or anything like that. Um, then the grenade gets lobbed back to the cessationist and they go, yeah, well, you're calling the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of Satan, and that's the blasphemy of the spirit. And so basically we're anathematizing each other. And I think this is very unwise um, for us to do to each other. Um, in my view, if, if I'm right, okay, believing that there is some continuation of the work of the Holy Spirit in the form of gifts and, um, and, and things like that, then what do I view? How do I view the cessationist over here who's saying, Mike, none of that's happening. I think that God is still giving them words of wisdom or even prophecy. And I think that they just go, I had a good idea. That's just wisdom. And then they, sh and they share it. And the effect is the same, but they're just not calling it what it is. That's my personal opinion. So, um, yeah, so I, I don't, I would not divide on that issue actually. Um, that, so there's my view on cessationists and I think it's a better way to, to look at things. Hopefully. Okay, looking for another question to you. Here's a 10-second question from Pisces Renewed. It says, 10-second question, what Myers-Briggs personality type are you? I have no idea. I have no idea. That, that's the whole thing about um, uh, stoic. No, no, what are they? See, I don't even remember them. Um, I have friends that are into this. They always label people as having these personality types, and I never pay attention to them, so sorry. Um, okay, here's one. Uh, Mike, can you explain Mark 10, 17 through 18? Let's go to the Bible. Mark 10, 17 through 18. And I didn't even catch the name of the person. John Abraham. All right, John Abraham. Mark 10, 17 through 18. Let's pull that up. Okay, um... Uh, the rich young man, or the rich young ruler, as some, some headings would say. Uh, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So, um, this passage comes up partially, but probably, I'm assuming, um, it's because you're thinking, Is Jesus implying that Jesus is not good? right? Well, that would definitely be a problem. The scripture says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that Christ is the, the, the righteousness of God, that Jesus is the, the holy one. Uh, even I'm um, so we have lots of reasons to think that Jesus is good. He even calls himself the good shepherd. Um, so yeah, no, there's, you know, he, he says, I, what sin have I committed amongst you? So he, he even affirms his own goodness, so what other option do we have if Jesus in this passage isn't implying he's not good? Well, if he's, if he's, if he is good, then what is he saying about himself? Well, verse 18, he says, no one's good except God alone. Well, that would mean that Jesus is God. That's what it would mean. And these are the two options. Now, when you back up and you look, and obviously you know uh, which one we need to take to be biblically consistent, Jesus is God. That's what this means. 
Um, but this rich young guy, he has a twisted version of good. He thinks he's good and Jesus labors to show him that he's not good. So God alone is good. Jesus is God. Of course, Jesus is good. But, but the rich guy is not good. That's the main point of the passage. So Jesus goes on and says, you know, you know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And this rich guy, young guy, he says, uh, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And I, I love this because we were witnessing to some LDS people, up, some Mormons up in Utah, and we we're doing a good person test that we got from, uh, from Ray Comfort from Living Waters. And, and they have tons of great resources on their website, livingwaters.com. We're doing the good person test where you try to reveal to someone through the law their need for forgiveness because it shows them that they're a sinner. The law is our schoolmaster. It shows us we're sinners to drive us to Jesus for forgiveness, for salvation. It, it gives us, it's like the doctor diagnosing our need for the cure and Jesus is the cure. And the doctor is like writing the prescription. You need Jesus, right? So that's the law is like, you need Jesus. Here's your prescription. Take one of these and live forever. Um, and so uh, here Jesus, you know, he uses the law in the same way I was doing with this LDS gentleman. So this one guy, I asked him, like, have you ever stolen? And he goes, no. I go, you ever looked with lust? And he goes, no, why would I do that? He ever told a lie? And he goes, no, of course I haven't lied. And his wife was standing right next to him the whole time. And I looked at his wife and I was like, really? And she was, you could tell she just got shy and didn't want to say anything. He was the only guy I've ever encountered who literally said he never sinned. And um, I, I laugh, but the truth is it's actually really sad. He was seriously delusional. And so was this rich young ruler. So Jesus looks at him lovingly and he says, you lack one thing. And he now exposes a sin issue in his heart. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And then he goes, look how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. So the man coveted after his gold, his, his wealth was his God. Um, and so Jesus used a targeted request to show the man he had a sin issue because the man just didn't see it on his own. Um, so yeah, Jesus is good, but the rich young ruler, or me and you, we are not. Um, yeah, let's take another question from the comments section. Um, Miguel Fuentes asks, that's an interesting question. Can a Christian marry a Catholic? Now, I sometimes say Christian Catholic in the same sense as you, Miguel. Um, in one sense, Catholics are Christian, but not in a gospel sense. Um, in the sense that the Catholic, okay, let's just, let me describe two different kinds of Catholics to you. One, they say they're Catholic, but they do not hold to the actual doctrines and teachings of the core of what Catholicism is. They just call themselves Catholic. They're Catholic in name only. Then there's a Catholic who believes the things that the councils and the official teachings of the church hold. That person, I would say, has a false gospel. And so, the question isn't, can a Christian marry a Catholic? It's, can a Christian marry a non-Christian and have it be morally good? And the answer is no. Um, but can you have someone who, say, they, they say they're Catholic, they're confused about things, but they really do hold to a biblical gospel? I'm sure those people exist. Um, but I don't want years later to be fighting with my spouse about how you want them to go to their first communion and you want them to get catechized, taught Catholic doctrine in Catholicism. And that's potentially a real problem. Um, I think with all questions related to uh, relationships, we have to establish one thing first, which is this, am I honestly willing to submit to the will of God? And I'm not saying you're not, you just asked a question. I have no idea your story, or even if it's about you, but whoever has these questions in their heart about their own life, you have to ask, am I willing to submit to the will of God here? He says, do, he says, do not have these kinds of 
romantic relationships. Am I going to obey or am I just looking for an excuse to do what I want? And if I'm, if I'm not willing to lay down this relationship for the name of Christ and for the sake of God, then there's a, there's a, there's an idol. This thing's become an idol in my life. And, um, I remember before I got married, I was like, Lord, I don't, I don't, as much as I want to marry, you know, my future, my, my current wife now, my, well, my only wife, <laughs> my current wife. Um, I also was willing to say, I don't want this relationship. If it's not your will, no matter how much I want it, I want God more. God's, how could I compare a relationship to God? You know? Um, so I, I saw some questions that looked really interesting. Um, but I did, but they're gone now. So, <laughs> um, boogeyman asks, What's your opinion on annihilationism? Is it a sort of Christian condoned form of atheism? Uh, I wouldn't call it a Christian form of atheism. I think it's wrong. Um, I will do a video on this one of these days. I think annihilationism is incorrect. I think that it becomes a worldview assumption that you push on the scriptures. I watched Chris Date, who is part of the... He's like the spokesman for this movement. And, and he has a, a group called Rethinking Hell. And I've listened to you know probably two or three of his debates... What I noticed is that once he establishes his, and, and this is not meant to be a full answer to Chris Date's, you know, stuff, obviously, this is a quick off the cuff response, right? But in, with his content and him being kind of the, the, the spokesperson for um, annihilationism, the idea that you, when you die, you suffer maybe for a, a certain period of time, but then you just stop existing. God will just cause you to stop existing. It's very attractive to apologists because then you don't have to worry about skeptical attacks on the topic of hell because you, you just pretty much gotten rid of the issue. But I don't think it's biblical. So I think what, what he does is he, um, he constantly says, oh yeah, it's eternal. The consequences are eternal, not the punishment. The consequences. The person doesn't, it doesn't experience it forever. They experience the, res experience the results of it forever. That's annihilationism. You're annihilated, you're gone. And so um, another way they put this view is they call it uh, conditional Im immortality. And they say a person only exists forever conditionally in Christ. Otherwise, Adam and Eve, they wouldn't, you know, if they had not eaten of the tree of life, they would have died. Naturally, they would just die. Um, but I think that this doesn't hold up in scripture. And so anyways, it's, it's a lot to get into. I, um, I do plan on doing a video on the topic of hell and I want to tackle annihilationism and I actually want to do a video on the topic of hell and skeptical attacks against Christianity specifically related to the topic of hell. But it's, it's, a, it's amongst a big long list of videos I want to do. I have no idea when I'll get to it. So forgive me uh, for having too many things I want to do. <laughs> so I'll take another question. Um, uh, MVMV says, um, can you tell me what you think about John MacArthur? Um, I greatly love and respect John MacArthur and I love the ministry he's done and he's been a stalwart um, uh, champion for the gospel of Jesus Christ and I think he's a good teacher, great teacher I love John MacArthur I, but he's Calvinist Mike, yeah I know still love him <laughs> and uh, I love a lot of Calvinist teachers and that's, that's my opinion of him now a lot of times I get requests from people asking me my opinion about groups and movements I haven't really listened to and haven't heard much of and I say I don't usually answer that because if I haven't heard of them, it would just be irresponsible for me to give commentary upon them, you know. Um, do I take issue with John MacArthur's um, Strange Fire Conference? Well, I've only, I mean, I've only seen clips of it. I haven't read his book and I haven't seen it. So some clips I've seen were pretty, like, that was off base. But maybe that was 
not most of the conference. Maybe most of the conference is stuff I would agree with. So I, I don't really want to comment on that. Um, all right, let's let's take another uh, another question. Um, hmm. Okay, that was not for me. I saw a question that says, "Are you a Christian now?" Yep, but that wasn't for me. So. <laughs> um. Victor Swan says, how do I ask out a beautiful believer female? <laughs> um, you just do, man. <laughs> just go ask. Um, let's see. Can you do a video on, this is from Michael Cato, can you do a video on the interpretation of Genesis 1 through 11? I'm in love with Jesus in grad school for biochemistry, so that would really help. One of these days, I'd like to do that. Um, there's that depending I mean if I want to do a surface video I could do it really easily but if I want to go deep into some of the topics I want to cover it's going to be a lot more work before I'm ready to do what I want to do with that and you know what I mean because I mean answering those questions the questions that are in your mind those are the things I'd like to be able to answer but many of those have to do with fields of study I know nothing about which means I have to be extra careful that I don't come out saying something foolish because I just heard it, got it from a bad source or I, I didn't understand the issue very well because I just haven't studied it much, you know. And I'm not talking about the Bible here. I'm talking about other issues. So, yeah, hope, hopefully one day. Um, DC7iffy says, uh, what did Jesus mean by forsaking family? By forsaking family, um, uh, Christ, again, Jesus, and don't get this the wrong way, but Jesus use, uses... Um, extreme examples frequently in his teaching to draw out a point, right? Um, so when Jesus says, if any of you um, does not forsake his family, take up his cross, hate his father and mother, right? Forsake his family, take up his cross and follow me, then he cannot be my disciple. The, the context here is, a, is a between deciding between Jesus and your family. Now, do you have to decide between Jesus and your family? That depends on your family, doesn't it? Now, if they're willing to go with you to follow Christ, or at least tolerate you following Jesus, then you can still have your family. But if they, you know, are, are like, it's, it's, it's us or, or God, then obviously I forsake my family in that case. But I still have the command of God, love my, uh, love my father and mother, submit to them, obey them, right? But also my, my wife, to love my wife. There's a, particularly, for instance, how the Bible applies this to a, a woman who's married to an unbelieving husband. While we're told not to start that marriage, you're not told to break it up either. You're told to stay faithful to that guy and shine the light of Christ to him. But if he will not remain with you, then he can leave. So the the idea here is that you're you're loving your family, you're honoring your family. But anytime you have to pick between Jesus and fill in the blank, even family, you pick Jesus. Um, yeah, now I've seen some people twist this and use this as an excuse to, they're stressed out by family and stressed out by things, and they use that as an excuse to kick their family to the curb. That is obviously not what Jesus is talking about. Um, but yeah, so there you go. Um, Nothing But The Truth asks me to do a video refuting universalism. That is also on the list. I do plan on doing that video, and universalism is, 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 a, is a problem for lots of reasons, <laughs> and it's very much not a biblical truth. Um... Mike, do you like Ravi Zacharias, Pastor Jack Hibbs, or Don Stewart? Generally speaking, I like all three of those guys. I'll just say that. But liking someone doesn't mean I endorse everything they say. Just like you may like my teaching, it doesn't mean you have to agree with me on everything. And so, 
Um, there you go. Um, let's see here. Another question. What uh, from Teresa Borreo? What scholarly books would you recommend on the reliability of the New Testament manuscripts? Oh boy, off the. I'm terrible at remembering the book book titles, but off the top of my head, um, uh, King actually King James only controversy. You call it scholarly book. I'm going to suggest King James only controversy is a is a great beginner level stuff for you. Um, but there's also content by guys like Dan Wallace. Um, oh yeah, I'd, I'd have to I'd have to look at, look something up to be able to get you a better answer than that. But Dan, Dan Wallace is one of the authors I would look to uh, for that. So, uh, who's my favorite Bible teacher? I, I don't know. It's a good question. I used to have, there's one guy who used to be my favorite, but not anymore because he changed. And that sometimes happens. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know who my favorite Bible teacher is. I'm not very good at, at favorites. Um, yeah. So, um, let's see here. Do you believe any conspiracy theories to be true? <clears throat> not that I've heard. Uh, I do believe this, though. I believe that the, the prince of the power of the air is at work in the sons of disobedience. I'm quoting Ephesians here. I believe that Satan really is, this is a true conspiracy, right? The puppet master of the world. The thing is, is that people aren't all knowingly involved in this conspiracy. Instead, their lives are part of the kingdom of death and darkness instead of the kingdom of light and love. They're not part of God's kingdom. They're Those who are unsaved, their strings are being pulled. Um, however, do I relate this to any any conspiracies you read about on the internet? No, I don't. I really don't. And in my opinion, what I have heard, and I've probably heard the more fluff versions of these conspiracies, but when I hear them, I find them embarrassing. And I don't know what to say. And um, yeah, I don't know if any of the conspiracies I've actually bother looking into a little bit, they just start unraveling, and the conspiracy theorists who hold them, they start making lame excuses to support their conspiracies. That being said, that doesn't mean, because I just said this, there's no conspiracies in the world, and you're all morons for having conspiracy theories, but that's been my experience so far. Um, so, uh, let's see. Next question. What did Paul mean... In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, let's look it up. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3. Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? Um, the context of 1 Corinthians 6 is he's like saying, hey, you have believers taking believers to court before unbelievers. And it's like dragging the reputation of the church and of Christ through the mud because of it. And he's like, can't you find a better solution? Can't you guys find godly people within your own fellowship to do this? Now, I've actually gone through this process where someone uh, wronged a family member of mine. And rather than taking them to secular court, we decided to go to the church and let the church handle it. And I'm so glad we did it that way. I feel like it honored the Lord. And um, and it, was, it, was, it wasn't gossipy. It was God glorifying and all that. Um, and it wasn't my fellowship, actually. It was a different church, but that's where he went, my relative. And so we took care of it through them. But he mentions that we are to judge angels. Um, here, I think the meaning of this verse hinges on what we mean by judge. If we're to judge angels, do we mean we're standing like in a court case and we're making decisions about the fate of angels? Like, 
you messed up and here's what happens to you and you did good. So you're, you're set free. That would seem odd to me, you know, because it seems to me that God is the judge of all. Um, it seems that I'm not judging angels in that sense. So what does it mean that I'm to judge angels? Well, judgment has more, is, is more than just deciding in court cases. And so maybe, and I probably should look at this passage even more in more detail, but maybe what's implied here is judging like in the sense of the judges of Israel. See, in the book of Judges, these weren't just presiding in court cases, these judges, right? You read about Gideon, right? Gideon was a leader and decider over the people of Israel as judge. It may be that we are leading angels. We're able to command them, go here, do this, do that. And in that sense, judging angels, standing over them, so to speak. And that's uh, in the final kingdom, in the final culmination, as far as I understand the future of uh, prophecy to be. So I would look at it in that sense of judging, not court case. Now you could say it's court case judging. It's just not my opinion and be worth looking at more. I'm sure. Taking another question. How do you prepare for your messages for teaching? Um, This is from Juan Polgarin. Uh, Hi, Juan. Uh, A lot of your guys' names, by the way, I recognize you guys uh, and appreciate you've been with me for a while now. And that's that's wonderful. Um, How do I prepare my messages? It totally depends on the message. Um, I want to try to understand a topic well. So sometimes... I'm spending a lot of hours in it. Um, Sometimes I'm just being honest here. Sometimes I'm preparing for like, say a Sunday night service, which that's the video that I put up on Mondays here on YouTube. Sometimes I'm preparing for 15 or 20 hours. And sometimes it's more like 40 or or more hours for one message, but I'm tackling tough, tough topics a lot of the time. Um, You know, if I'm tackling some really heavy issue, then I spend a lot more time on it or really complicated thing. Other times I spend, you know, less time preparing. How do I do it? Uh, Most of my time I spend, if it's verse by verse teaching, if I'm doing a Bible study, I spend most of my time in the text of scripture, right? I usually copy and paste the text of scripture into a word document. And then I just start working my way through the text, separating it into thoughts and, and, you know, maybe looking up some original language stuff on a particular word. Um, I try to look and get my own excuse me, my own commentary on a passage first. And then after I'm finished sort of exhausting my ability to understand the text by either looking at that passage or cross references, other passages that may relate to this one or the, or the bigger context of that chapter in the Bible or that book. Then after all that, after I feel like I've gone as far as I can get on my own, I might look at some commentaries and the commentaries sometimes go, I go, Whoa, I, I think I had that wrong. This commentary made a good point. Other times that's not the case. So, um, Spend most of my time just reading the text, reading it again, thinking about it, taking some notes on it, reading cross-references, reading other passages related to it. It's mostly just in the text. That's most of the time. Um, now, if it's a different issue that maybe isn't, um, usually I'm teaching the Bible, but but sometimes I'm teaching something like uh, a very topical type issue that is more apologetics related, That then I look at a slew of resources. And I personally like to get multiple resources for every point I make. I want to confirm it, you know, a couple times so that hopefully when you hear me share an apologetic point, you can kind of take that to the bank. Like you can count on it and you won't be made a fool of if you repeat something I said somewhere else. Um, Okay. Let's look at another question. This is uh, Sarah um, uh, Beauchamp says, Pastor Mike, would you ever consider charging for Skype Bible lessons? Sarah, that would feel so weird to me. Can you imagine if I was like, 
you know, pay me 50 bucks and I'll give you an hour of Bible lesson. Like, I just can't. One of the, one of the weird things with this online ministry is the more time it takes out of my schedule, the more it's like, how, you know, can I actually make this my entire focus, this online ministry? And if I do, how am I going to make a living like that? But I hate the idea of charging or putting a, a wall between you and the content that I produce. I'd love it for all my content to always be totally free. So I don't think I could do it like that. I don't think I could charge for Bible lessons like that. I just feel like it would be a compromising, at least in my own conscience, it would feel wrong. Um, let me see. Uh, Victor Swans says, uh, what's a good example of raising the dead today? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> good question. I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking forward to checking out Craig Keener's new book on miracles. Craig, I think it's Craig Keener is the author. I'm pretty sure, but he did a book on miracles and it ha it's supposed to be, you know, with a lot of information like medical verifications and things like that, but I haven't looked into it yet. And when I have time, I'd like to, but I'd recommend checking that out. Um, because from most of the time, you know, God does something amazing in your life. You're not like, let me document this so I can show a skeptic online. Like that doesn't usually occur to people. <laughs> They're just like, wow, thank you, Lord. Um, so what Craig did was he tried to actually do that. Uh, Daniel Tenorio says, are the, ver are the visions of the Virgin Mary reliable? I heard there was a large one like some years ago. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't think they're reliable. <laughs> I do not think they're reliable, Daniel. And I'll be. I'm pretty slow to receive something like that. Um, when you go to the site, I'll just put it this way. What came out of that vision, right? When you go to the site where this supposed vision took place, you see people worshiping, worshiping Mary. And to me, that does not look like good fruit. And I'll say there's a lot more that can be said about it, but that does not say anything good about it. Um, uh, Christopher Jank asks, can a faithful Christian be an evolutionist? Well, I would say um, a faithful Christian in, in the sense of, can you be a genuine believer who's truly saved? Yes. And be an evolutionist? Yes. I think that there, there's problems with that, but I think you can absolutely do it. Um, but is it consistent with the text of scripture? Is it consistent with the Christian worldview? Um, here's where I'll just say this. It's the issue of evolution and of evolution in Christianity is way more complicated, in my opinion, than most people give it credit for. What they tend to do is we tend to flatten it out and um, uh, we make it about pure atheism materialism, uh, pure materialism versus God creating things. And that there are those two sides, but that's not the whole story. And so I would listen to specifically the individual, like, what is your beliefs about this? What do you believe about God? What do you believe about creation? Find out where they're coming from and try to hear them out and hear the nuance of what they believe, you know, to know where they're coming from. I'm going to hit, I'm going to take this one from Leo Lynch. It says at Mike Wagner. <laughs> That's not my name. Um, do you believe that only the martyrs for Christ will rule with him in the millennial kingdom? Um, no, I don't, I don't hold to that. I, I've never heard a case for that though. So uh, not my, not in my opinion. Um, let me jump down here. I'm, I'm getting caught. I'm getting behind here. Um, Nicholas Dehan asks me what my position is or opinion is on Mike Bickle in the international house of prayers. I, I don't, I know, I know like this much, honestly about it. I just haven't really looked into it. Is it associated with things that worry me? Yes. Are there people there that are super sincere? 
absolutely there are because of of how big of an issue this stuff is i want to be cautious to make a statement that i might later find i was in error you know it was my impression before i did the video on bill johnson i listened to like i think it was over 60 hours of 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 teaching that was coming from them and it was months in the making for me to get a, a solid opinion on that. And Leo Lynch, don't, he says, sorry, sorry for getting my name wrong. I really don't care. I just thought it was funny. <laughs> I just, I got a kick out of it. Um, <clears throat> okay, so. Chris Buckland just goes, Molinism? <laughs> Molinism? Um, I, I think that trying to unpack Molinism... Um, as a as a world as a, a view towards sovereignty and free will being reconciled is a little difficult to do in a Q and A environment like this. I'll just say this: I believe that God's sovereignty and the free will of man are com are compatible in the sense that God can be fully sovereign while man is honestly making true free will choices where we could have received Christ or could have rejected and not received Christ. Like this was an honest decision. And Molinism is one way of explaining how that works. And the idea behind Molinism is basically, oh gosh, if I can explain this well, I hope. I hope I can. Is basically that um, God, uh, before creating anything, he already knows all of the domino effects, all the butterfly effects of how if he does this, this will happen, this will happen, this will happen, this will happen. And this allows him to construct the universe in such a way where he's totally sovereign yet man still had free will because he anticipates every action and he creates things according to the things he not only plans but also what he knows there's a ton of nuance that needs to be in there and someone will totally take me out of context and misrepresent what i mean here but that's okay that's inevitable anyways um so yeah i i, I lean towards thinking that molinism in that sense is true um yeah they call it middle knowledge chris buckland uh, is pointing out that Knowledge about what would happen, you know, if, if, if I cause Mike to be three inches taller, his life will be different this way. If Mike gets the gospel preached to him when he's 15 instead of 12, this is how he'll respond. God knows all those issues, and so he factors all that in. Okay, so, um, Victor Swans says, if Revelation was all about Rome, what would be the point of it? And Victor's talking about something called preterism. Uh, I'm actually having a discussion on the topic of preterism on Monday on the Remnant Radio channel. And you guys are welcome to go watch it Monday, this coming Monday on Remnant Radio. Um, somewhere around like around this time, about the same time as we're doing this live stream. But this idea of, there's different branches within preterism. But one branch would be that the entire book of Revelation and all Bible prophecies already been fulfilled by the year 70 AD. So Revelation was basically about Rome when it was talking about things. I don't hold to that view, so I'm going to have a hard time defending it here. Um, there's other partial preterism and groups within there. It gets very confusing, to be fully honest. I would say, though, that, um, yeah, I, I don't see a big point for a lot of the Bible. It's kind of like if you're a cessationist, what's the point of all these New Testament teaching about spiritual gifts? Why have we even been having, why did the church even need this? You know, if the Bible was going to replace spiritual gifts, why even teach about spiritual gifts in the Bible? in the new testament in the same sense if if it's all about rome i agree with you that there's a question about the importance and the and the ap applicability of the book of revelation although that's not why i would say preterism is false or partial preterism is false i would have other i think better reasons for that but that's to answer your question um 
All right, looking for another question from you guys. Yolanda Bauer says it's 3 a.m. where she is. She wants sleep, but she wants help as well. Um, scriptures for believers to go to that need deliverance. Well, let me say a couple things, Yolanda. Yolanda, uh, I'm gonna. Say, I think it's Yolanda. So, <clears throat> needing deliverance is. I'm assuming you're talking about something like um, the concept of like uh, either habitual sin or some kind of what you feel is like a spiritual oppression, or maybe you are depressed, or maybe there's some psychological things going on. I, I don't know. So I'm gonna answer very generally, and I'll say a couple things. If it's a sin issue, I think Romans 6 is the passage to, to, to read and study until you believe it. And I really mean that. And then if it is a mental, like, kind of mental health type thing, I think Philippians chapter 4, read and study it and meditate on it. And notice the word thankful in there. It's very important. Um, and I would, I would say this, though, is that I have this public teaching ministry. And I maybe I'm blessing you with these studies. But in addition, I think that if you guys have personal issues that might be really specific to your life, the best thing is to find a pastor, find, even if it's not a pastor, just a godly believer who's preferably older than you, who has wisdom and the Holy Spirit, right? And you go to that person and you give them the complete honesty of your life without any, without covering your tracks, without trying to make yourself look better than you are. You find a compassionate, godly believer and you tell them exactly how it is. And then you get their opinion and their advice. And I also encourage you to do it with someone else, do it with two people at least. There's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. And sometimes you'll find uh, people, maybe even leaders who are, are too busy and they give you these kind of off the cuff answers that don't really apply to your exact situation. Um, and you hear them and you're like, yeah, that didn't apply. Um, so the, the, the two things to worry about is, if you're not being honest when you when you tell your story, you got you got to paint a correct picture of you and your situation so they can help it. But then also notice if their answer doesn't even apply to you because they just missed the mark. Maybe just ask somebody else. Um, but you know, seek out personal counseling, seek out individuals to help you. But realize that when you ask them for advice or accountability, they can't actually fix you. You're you're going to have to do some hard work of changing the way you think about things and changing the way you live, and that of course is. No fun, but it is incredibly rewarding. So um, forgive me, Yolanda, if anything I said there did not apply to you. Just ignore it. I'm not talking about you. Just kind of speaking to people who maybe uh, relate to something that you asked about. Um, Chris Buckland asks how I ended up at Calvary Chapel. I ended up at, I'm, I'm, so I'm a pastor with Calvary Chapel um, in, in Bellflower. That's the church I serve at. <clears throat> I'm the youth pastor there, or technically they call me an associate pastor. I'm a pastor on staff. Uh, but I do, I focus on youth ministry and now apologetics and theology and online stuff as well. But <clears throat> how did I end up there? Actually, um, when I was a teenager, I was going to a church for many years and some things happened in the church where I ended up needing to leave. And it, the, the short version is this, that there was a, a, a person brought in who I feel was bringing ungodliness into that youth ministry and was actually, was not only being a bad example spiritually to the people, but was um, teaching students to compromise um, spiritually, morally, in relationships, um, told, told a girl it was okay to make out with her boyfriend, um, things like that, that, uh, hmm. Uh, so anyway, we had several conversations. I tried to talk to him about it. It didn't work. I tried to talk to the senior pastor, the lead pastor, and it, and meet with him. 
and I share my concerns privately and it didn't work. And so finally I had to leave because I, I thought, well, I can't stay and support him, but I don't want to cause division. So I just, I just left. I went to Calvary Chapel. Why? Calvary Chapel had a reputation that they taught the Bible. And that to me was like the one thing I knew I wanted. <laughs> I'm like, just teach the Bible. People need the Bible. And so um, I've always felt a real strong conviction since getting saved that we need the Bible. I was, <laughs> true story, I was in my junior high ministry when I was a junior higher, just came to the Lord. And I went to the youth leader, <clears throat> different, different youth leader than that guy. The other guy was only there for a, a matter of months, maybe a year total before he actually left after I did. But, um, <clears throat> but anyhow, I'm there and I went to my youth leader and uh, he would on Thursday nights, because I didn't go Sunday mornings for quite a while actually. <laughs> but on Thursday night, he would, he would do like five minutes message, maybe 10 minute message. Then we do games the rest of the night. And I remember going up to him saying, could you teach more of the Bible? Could you do more Bible studies and Bible talk? And he got a little irritated at me. <laughs> I thought I thought I got to be the only junior high kid who was like, can we get more of the Bible? Um, anyway, so but that, that's how I ended up at Calvary and love the commitment to the text of scripture. But I've actually been at Baptist Church. Um, I'd gone with my buddy to the Anaheim Vineyard for, for a while when I was a kid um, and some other churches as, as well. So there's more to the story, but that's the short version. Uh, Mariano Rogers wants to know how old I am. Um, here, if you don't know how old I am, I'm just curious. Just put it in the comments. Just guess, guess. How old do you guys think I might be? I'll give you like 10 seconds and then I'll tell you how old I really am. I'm just curious who, <laughs> I just get curious who, how old people think I am versus how old I really am. <clears throat> Ryan Tanner says 12. You're very close, Ryan. 79 to <laughs> trust very so close you guys are so close um i am 39 and i'll be turning 40 this year so um less than one one google said daniel okay yeah there you go 102 38 29 i I see those numbers um yeah so i'm 39 i honestly if you saw me in person you probably think i was older i think that the i think the camera takes takes a couple years off i'm not sure but I'm working on my gray. I'm working. You can't see it so well, but I'm I'm working on it. It's coming in. In about five years, it'll be like William Lane Craig. Right? If you guys follow him, man, like five, ten years ago, William Lane Craig was young, and all of a sudden, he's got like really old. Like, is that what apologetics does to you? Because I don't know if I want to keep doing this. <laughs> but um, all right. So let's take another question. <laughs> Teresa Barreo asks, uh, Mike, can you do a verse by verse study on the LDS Book of Abraham? That would be really interesting. Um, would I get copyright infringement if I did? Like, would, because I have to be careful with this online stuff. If, if I quote one text too many verses of, even the Passion Translation, I was careful not to quote beyond a certain number of verses because I'm afraid he could come at me for copyright issues. Um, so I wonder if I would get copyright infringement. That would be very interesting to do the LDS Book of Abraham. I do plan on doing... Uh, because they developed the Mormon doctrine of polytheism. It literally developed slowly over time. And you can see its development if you look at the texts Joseph Smith wrote early versus late. The Book of Mormon's kind of monotheistic. Book of Abraham, polytheistic. It came much later. So that'd be interesting to, to dig through. Um, all right. So, hey, first, last. You say you've asked a question several times. Uh, and you don't want to spam, but you like an answer. I haven't seen that question yet, I don't think, but you're welcome to ask it and I will watch for your question. First, last. You can just put it right in there. There's a little delay between when I say it and when you hear it now, so <clears throat> so just uh, copy and paste that in and I'll take another one uh, while I'm waiting. Boogeyman asks if I take questions by email. 
Um, I do, but the truth is, I'm in this tough spot where, as a, as a pastor, I love getting questions and I love answering questions. This is my cat claw in the chair in the middle of the last. Oh, what's wrong? She gets hiccups like when she drinks water now. I don't know what that is. Um, okay, so questions by email. Here's the problem. Um, I get too many now and I can't keep up with them. And a lot of them are actually people who need pastoral counseling. And I'm, I'm like, I want to be there for you guys. I just literally don't have the hours in the day to answer them. I can't keep up with my Facebook stuff. I can't keep up with Twitter, even, even though that's not a lot going on Twitter, but I can't quite keep up with it, let alone YouTube and that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm sorry that I'm not able to keep up with all that stuff. Um, I'd like to, that, that's why I'm doing this Q and a, it was like, here's a time when you can you can hit me up and ask a question. So this is this is Mika. This is our cat Mika. She's um, our newer kitty, and uh, she looks like she wants to walk on my keyboard. So I'm gonna set her to the side, cause she will. And first, last, I'm now looking for your question, cause I saw your name. Nope, I don't see it. Hmm. Did I? Well. Yeah, I don't see it in there. So maybe you can, if you're still around first last, then you can ask me your question and I will look for it, but I don't see it. So um, let me see if I can get a question from somebody else. Uh, Teresa Barayo says, uh, have you ever bought, brought an LDS member to the Lord? I have actually had contact from uh, a couple different people because of the videos I have online. Um, that they've come to the Lord, but the, the videos I did on, on the LDS have like 20 and 30,000 views and they're growing and they're getting literally hundreds of views every day right now. So I'm hoping that that's continuing to have an impact. And, and I, I assume if I get a message from one person that there's probably others behind that as well. I got a message from a, an atheist, former atheist just yesterday who said he, he partially because of the content online, you know, ultimately God gets all the glory. It's his work in our lives, but um, but that helped trigger some wonderful things in his life. And now he's, he's a believer. So that was pretty exciting. <clears throat> okay. So first last says just sent, but I don't, I don't see it in there. I'm looking, you know, and I know it's easy for me with all these names. Oh, there's one. Okay. Can a high school student give a sort of sermon in the school club Bible study setting? Uh, biblical qualifications include married men, but what about unmarried men and women? I, I think that people can give a message without being a pastor or an elder. And so, yes, absolutely. A, a, a high school student can stand up and deliver a message um, in, in a variety of different settings. Um, the thing is, if you're going to elevate them to that position where they're in that elder or pastor uh, position in the lives of others, and they're a high school student, that would be very unwise. Um Maybe that person has lots of skills, but the Bible makes it clear, like not being a novice, right? And lest he be puffed up. And uh, there's a reason why the Bible by default calls these spiritual leaders elders is there's something about the wisdom of age. Like guys, we tend to not mellow out till we're like around 25 or so. And all of a sudden something shifts, you know, and you, some of us, we just gain a lot more wisdom. You know, I'm, I'm, I've lived longer and, and in 20 years when I'm 60, I will be much wiser than I am today. I hope, I sure hope I will through 20 more years of life experience that I'll learn more. Um, but yeah, you can absolutely share first last. I think that's a fantastic idea. You can even share in your church. Just know your, your, your place. If that's you, if you're the teenager, know your place and, and speak humbly um, and be, you know, yielding to the leadership God has placed in your life.
Um, all right, looking, scroll down, look for more questions. Hmm. Blessed to be asks, please give me a word about discernment on the Catholic church. What do you say to someone who wants the right place to know Jesus? Um, the Catholic church has the right Jesus, but they have a distorted gospel message. That is how we get saved. The Jesus is the same, but what he did for you and how you, how you attain it, that's different. I do not recommend going to a Catholic church um, unless you happen to go to a Catholic church that rebels against the Catholic system and teaches good doctrine instead. But then why are you still Catholic, right? Like at that point, I think that's the case. Um, I have a, a, a series, uh, a, a playlist on my YouTube channel that's about Catholicism. I do recommend checking it out. Um, please check it out. Spend the time. It's I go into detail. I go into a lot of detail. But if you want to understand the issues, I think that that will really help you out. So look up, you know, or just Google Mike Winger Catholicism. I've got like four or five videos I've done. Actually, it's more than that on that topic. Um, hmm. Let's see. Because of the delay, I, I realize you guys are getting your questions in. And it, it makes it hard. So I'm doing my best here. Um, I'll try to stick to people whose questions, people who have, are asking a question that I have not answered yet, a person who has not had a chance yet. So... Marshall W1517 says, do you believe Christians should or shouldn't use preferred pronouns? As it's becoming a larger and larger issue, I've had to face it myself, which is why I feel we need to address it as believers. For a second, I smiled because I was thinking, oh, is this that guy that sent me the email about my grammar? Like I've, I was having some kind of grammar issue. I was saying something wrong and they were like, can you please work on that, Mike? And I, thought, I thought I should work on it. It's just hard to change old habits. Um, but no, this is preferred pronouns. If someone says they're a boy, and, but they're really a girl. Are you going to call him him or her? Um, this is a tough issue. Um, part of me says, I, I don't know if I want to hang Christianity on that topic. Not for not because I'm trying to run from political correctness. I'm just trying to be honest, okay? Your boss comes to you and says, call me he. My new name is Dave. Before it was Mary. Now it's Dave and call me he. Um, and you're like thinking, do I call her he, which is not, I feel like it's not true. So I feel like I'm being dishonest and I'm supporting a delusion that's harmful to her. Or do I disrespect what she's asking? Do I maybe go against the authority they have here? Do I potentially get myself fired for this? Um, yeah, that's tough. I think where I stand on it, on, and I can't decide for you, but for me personally here, uh, as I'm still wrestling with this, I think I cannot use the false pronoun because I feel like I'm lying, unjustifiably lying about things. And I think I would just suffer the consequences, whatever they be, for it. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of where I'm at currently. And if someone gets mad at me for not lying to them about their identity, like... They're just delusional and angry, I, and it's not my fault. <laughs> so, I'm seeking to honor the Lord. So, I would say whatever you, you know, wrestle wrestling through that, you know, I just pray God gives you wisdom. Um, that's where I stand on it currently. Um, another question from Sister Joy: Should men and women be in a Bible study together, and if so, should women be silent? Um, I think that yeah, they can be in a study together, and women being silent uh, may well refer to interruptions. Uh, that were happening locally at the time. 
In other words, a Bible study should be an orderly thing and not a chaotic, loud, back and forth mess. So yeah, I'm also one of these days going to teach a whole study on those controversial women passages in the Bible. But I've, again, this is, I have a long list of stuff, guys, I want to get to on my channel eventually. Eventually that'll be there. Don't know when it will be. Um, let's see here. Uh, looking for more questions from you guys. Do you think we are the last generation in the end times? I think this is Lu Luis uh, Rodriguez. I don't think we're in a place to know the answer to that question. And I think if we try, we're like the disciples going, Lord, at this time, will you restore the kingdom? In Acts chapter one, and Jesus says, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons. The father is placed in his own authority. He says, no, no, just you. And tells them, tarry in Jerusalem and then wait, then go out and preach the gospel. We're in a time of preaching the gospel. That should be our focus and emphasis. Um, but I don't think we're in a place to know when the last generation will be. And, and if this isn't clear to you, consider this. If you lived in the time of Martin Luther, when he thought the Pope was the Antichrist, and they were having the Reformation, and then the persecution of, of uh, the Inquisition comes, like, or, or I don't know if you would call that the Inquisition uh, timeline-wise, but the persecution of the anti-reformers comes, you would have thought you were living in the last, the last days, you know? If you lived during the Black Plague, you would have thought it was fulfilling revelation. You know, if, if you lived um, during World War II, you would have thought this is for sure the end times Hitler's the Antichrist. You know, if you lived during, you know, whatever, every U.S. president has been called the Antichrist. I think we do ourselves a disservice when we try to uh, guess at God's timing for things in that regard. Um, the one thing I would look for is the abomination of desolation. I don't think that's possible without the temple having already been rebuilt. So, my opinion. Okay, more questions. Mike, do you think President Trump is a true believer? How do I handle this question? Somebody accused me online, of, or the other day on Twitter, of being a, a Trump supporter. Or Trump, no, having endorsed Donald Trump. And um, I have not done that. But, on one side, I'm in no position to tell somebody whether they're a true believer or not. Especially someone I've never met. On the other side, I feel really strongly that a lot of the things I've seen from him confirm very easily that he's not a real believer. How do I balance these issues? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So, um, yeah. And now, don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about politics here. We're talking about a person. You're asking if Donald Trump is a Christian. Well, he doesn't represent Christianity very well, that's for sure, right? He doesn't stand there to, I'll be, hey, Christians, look at me. I'll be the example of, of, of Christ or of Christianity to the world or to anybody. I, no, um, certainly not. Um, that, of course, is separate from the issues of his presidency and the issue of whatever decisions he makes and things like that. Okay, uh, the Joe Chinsons says, um, please answer mine. Both hands up. That worked, actually. I got my attention. <laughs> Um, does God choose who is saved if salvation is a gift from God? I'm having a hard time understanding this. Also, hi, Mike. Hi. Okay, so does God choose who is saved? This is where I think God chooses who is saved, and we make a free decision about whether or not to receive salvation. Part of this has to do with God knowing all things ahead of time, and part of it may have to do with this whole concept of middle knowledge, but the simple way to understand it is this. God's like, let all come to me. 
whoever will come, right? Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Yet those who call will find that they were selected and chosen ahead of time. Now, are both of those things true? Yes, I would say both are true. One side would say, no, they're not, they're, uh, you're misunderstanding. You know, there's the Calvinist side that says it was all, um, foreknown means chosen ahead of time. God picked who would believe individually and he picked, in a sense, by not picking them, who would not believe. That's not a position I hold. I just, I have never really struggled on this particular issue. Um, so I know some people who've really, really struggled on it. To me, I just accept that both are true. And I think they work fine. Okay, more questions. Um, are other religions or faiths a twisted version of Christianity? Well, some of them are. Um, this is from Boogeyman. You know, um, Mormonism, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, these are clearly just totally twisted versions of Christianity. Um, Buddhism, nope, definitely not. You know, Confucianism, Hare Krishna, they borrow Christ. They try to import Jesus into, you know, Hare Krishna, but it's not, uh, it's not a twisted version of Christianity, but it has a twisted version of Christ within it. So it just depends on which group you might be talking about. Um, let's see. Jamal Williams says, hey, Mike, with lots of clappy hands. Uh-oh. <laughs> now I'm just looking for hands in the comment section. Sorry, guys. I won't do that. Uh, do you believe a Christian can be demonized and have you ever cast a demon out of a person? Um, I don't know that I've ever cast a demon out of a person. I've definitely prayed for people who I felt were something demonic, something spiritually d dark and evil was going on. Um. Do I think a Christian can be like demonized or possessed? I'll say this in general, most people who I've heard asking these questions, they experience uh, that what they're experiencing oftentimes is a lack of faith and trust in God, in who he is and in what he has done. And that's the real issue that's going on. They have a lot of superstitions um, and superstitions almost never serve us well. Um, try not to be superstitious. It's really bad luck. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, yeah, no, so I would recommend to just be cautious how much you're allowing your fears to become what you believe. Um, if this is, if this is someone in your, in your position, or if you're hearing me and this is you and you're like, am I being, is this demonic? Is this demonic? In a sense, it's like, who cares if it's demonic or not? Just pray, seek the Lord, serve the Lord. But can a Christian be possessed? I'm sorry, I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit and I don't think that Satan can get inside of me when the Holy Spirit is inside of me. I don't think that that works that way. I don't think that's possible. I think the house has been filled with something else. And so it cannot happen. Can I be attacked spiritually? Of course I can be attacked spiritually. Um, certainly uh, Jesus was specifically attacked by Satan, both in the garden and then, and then, uh, excuse me, in the, in the wilderness, in the 40 days of fasting. But then also I think um, possibly at the garden of Gethsemane or, or one of those other, uh, I'm not going crazy with it like some people do, but or possibly near the cross where he, he had gone away for an opportune time. So Satan goes around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. So yeah, we can have spiritual attacks and we wrestle against those things, not against flesh and blood. So there's a, hopefully that was helpful to you. Um, Flora Key would like to know, um, hi Flora. Uh, she asks, what do you think of the Nephilim mentioned in Genesis thoughts? Um, actually, if you just Google like my name and the word Nephilim, you'll get a, a, a Bible study where actually I deal with that, where I was going through first Peter and I deal with the issue of the Nephilim. Um, um, Pigeon Hawk asks me a dangerous question. What would you change about Jeff Durbin? <laughs> um, 
I don't really feel super good about offering lots of comments about my brothers and sisters in Christ, you know? I really appreciate that they're out there preaching the gospel and they have a really successful growing YouTube channel and I'm really glad that they're doing what they're doing. Um, is everything that they do what I would do? No, would I change stuff? Probably, but I don't think it's constructive in this case for me to try to unpack all that. Um, I feel as though that would almost be merging into a, a place of uh, unhealthy conversation. So I don't want to, I don't want to do that. So, um, Chris Mabe says, do you think worship music should contain scripture and doctrine? Or do you think Chris Tomlin and Jesus culture is fine? Um, I think those are two different issues. Um, should worship music contain scripture and doctrine? I think it, it's wonderful when it contains scripture, but it doesn't have to be quoting the Bible. Should it contain doctrine? Yes. But does every worship song have to be doctrinal or can I just have a song that just says, thank you, Lord, 50 times in a row? Like I can, I can say thank you to the Lord 50 times in a row. I don't have a problem with that. Um, Chris Tomlin and Jesus culture, different issues, right? Uh, I think Chris Tomlin has a bunch of really great songs. I don't know every lyric of every song. Jesus culture. I've kind of already spoken about, about some of that. Um, I think it's a mixed bag and here I'll say, um, uh, you have two questions to ask when it comes to things like Bethel music, Jesus culture. And the two questions are this, do I, how do I feel about this song? And the second thing is, how do I feel about the association this song has with a group or a movement? Now the song question is easy. You just read the lyrics, look at the song, decide whether it's godly or not. They have some wonderful songs. They really do. Then they have some ones that I have concerns about, right? Then the second question is this, right? Well, if I play this song and it's from a group that has some associations I'm worried about, do I really want to partner with that? And that the ball is in your court, right? Because I think in honestly, in my fellowship, if I play a, a, a song from one of them to my youth ministry, it's probably not going to affect their life negatively at all. That doesn't mean I'm going to do it. I'm just telling you how it, how it affect them. But then someone else, it may lead to them going to the conference, lead to them being part of the movement, lead to them going to Bethel school of supernatural ministry, lead to kind of derailing them spiritually in their life. That's a different issue, isn't it? So may God give you wisdom and may we leave room for people to make choices depending on what's going on with their, their, uh, church, their local group of believers. Um, coach Mark 2002 says, do your beliefs come from your denomination? By denomination, you mean, uh, um, Calvary Chapel. Um, we're not in a sense, we're not a denomination. We, we certainly don't have the same political structure a, denom a denomination has. That's for sure. That's true. But we do have a set of core beliefs within Calvary chapels. And I would say my beliefs, I don't think come from them, but certainly they're affected by them. I can't ignore the fact that I'm raised around a certain group of Christians. So that affects what I believe. So, you know, I hear, hear what I'm doing in my online YouTube channel is I'm trying, and I'm not kidding here. I avoid teaching on certain issues until I have a chance to vet them through the scripture to ask myself, do I believe this because I'm in Calvary chapel or do I believe this because I've clearly understood it through the text of scripture? So I have like a category in my head of things I have, I'm not ready to talk about yet online. And as I vet them and put them through the, the, the sieve of scripture, then I'm able to bring it out and talk about it online. One example of this is my study on the topic of alcohol. I did that study and it does not agree with probably most Calvary Chapel teaching on the topic of alcohol. Um, now I'm on my own there. Okay. <clears throat> it probably does not agree with it. It's not completely opposed to it, but it certainly doesn't agree. And, uh, I don't think with most of the teaching I've heard from Calvary's on the topic of alcohol, but I filtered it through the scripture and I came out the other end with a different view. 
So I try to be open to doing that because we're all affected by our groups and by the people we're around. Um, and we want to let the Bible be the thing, the source of our doctrine and our theology. Okay. Um, I don't know what you guys are talking about there. Tim G says, sounds like Hogwarts to me. <laughs> oh, oh, I know what you're talking about. Uh, I know what you're talking about. Okay. Um, looking for another question from you guys. Sentinel Apologetics says, this is Rob Rowe. Hey, Rob. Good to see you, man. Good. Well, good to see you. Good to see a digital representation of who you are online. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Uh, Ryan Tanner says, when it comes to vocational ministry, what do you think the church is lacking uh, most or is in most need of for vocational ministry? Oh, man. This depends on how you view the church, right? Because I look at the church and I go, man, like... Churches all around are lacking in, in skilled worship leaders. We really are. We're really lacking in good expositional, exegetical, verse-by-verse -verse teaching. A lot of pastors don't really know how to study the Bible and teach it well. We're really lacking in that. On another side, there's serious gaps in the apologetics ministry of the, of the body of Christ. And there's whole sections of teaching that, that we would like to cover in apologetics where I'm like, I'm like, where's the William Lane Craig of archaeology? You know, I want to find that guy, the guy that's doing the archaeology apologetics in such a way where guys like me can learn from it, grab it, and then run with it the way that William Lane Craig has popularized so much of the philosophical arguments for God. Um, you know, we're, we have needs there. So I don't know how to answer that except to say your answer will probably depend on what you care about more than it will on the actual needs of the church in this case. But maybe that's not a bad thing. If you guys, if you look at the church and you go, you know what the church really needs is this. Maybe that's because you're supposed to do that thing. Maybe you see that need because you're supposed to be meeting that need. And you might be like, who am I? How can I have an impact? I'm so small. I'm nobody. Look, you don't change the world without trying to go out and change as many people as you can in, a po in as positive a way as you possibly can. Um, and it's certainly better to waste your time trying than waste your time not. So, uh, so yeah, um, AJ Bernard says that, uh, Sherry Cates is asking, Hey there from SC, South Carolina, I assume. Um, how can we pray for you, Pastor Mike? Oh, thank you. What a wonderful question. Um, I don't know what's next right now, um, for ministry, for the future, for my own serving of the Lord. Uh, I'm not really sure what's next. This, this whole online stuff has taken on a life of its own. It's really become an actual ministry. That's bigger than anything I've ever done in my life is having a bigger impact. Um, I can't believe that I get messages every day from people who are being impacted and their lives are being changed and touched by this ministry. I'm just a pastor with a camera, you know, and I'm just so super blessed. I'm so blessed and so humbled by it. I, I ask you, pray for me to have wisdom uh, and direction to know what to do next, to make wise choices um, about the future of my ministry online, as well as here, even in my own local church. I'm just not sure what I'm going to be doing next. So that would be my biggest prayer request. Um, cool. Uh, let's see. Sentinel Apologetics says we're teaming up. We're teaming up. Well, we are in a sense right now, just by you being here. Um, uh, let's see, uh, Pine Creek has a question for me. Hey, Doug. Um, he says, do you think the majority of New Testament historians date all four gospels near 70 AD or later at a time when most eyewitnesses would be dead? 
Okay, so this is this is of course the baited question. Um, is this really about wanting to know what I think, or is it about trying to get your point across? I think it's the latter. Um, do I think the majority of them date all four Gospels near near 70 AD or later? I don't think all four Gospels have the same are are dated exactly the same. I think I think John is typically the latest. And Mark is typically the earliest, and then there's debate on that. So they usually push it, oftentimes they push it past 70, 80. Here's the problem I have, and this is something I'll, you know, one day, this is on my big list of things to talk about is the dating, the dating of the Gospels. It's not huge on my list, but it's on there, um, is that a lot of the reasons you have for dating post-70, 80 seem like they all kind of are one reason. And then the pre-70 AD reasons kind of all come together as well. So that one tiny shift in thinking will jump the Gospels back 30 years. And that, to me, is a big deal. Um, how does, you know, First Timothy, how does he quote Luke in First Timothy if that's being, if it was written so late? You know, things like that. Um, anyhow. Next question. Jolianne uh, Mejias says, what do you think about Christian artists? They're straying away from traditional worship songs to create general Christian music, such as Kim Walker Smith, Stephanie Gretzinger. Um, I won't comment on those specific artists, but I'll say um, Christian artists who say, I want to make uh, songs that aren't just for congregational worship, like I'm writing songs that other worship leaders will play, but they just want to create music that is totally fine. I, I, I see nothing wrong with it. You know, uh, you know, we have Christian um, uh, craftsmen who are carving out cool-looking things and selling them on eBay, and I think that that's fine as well. I, I think it's fine. Just glorify God with your gift would be my general thought on that. It doesn't always have to be worship music. Um, but I do think we should make an attempt to glorify God with our gifts. And if your gift is something that expresses information, like book writing or or poetry or music, then why not write Christ and the, the glory of God into your song? The School Reviews asks a question. Um, hi, by the way, I know you've been following my channel for a long time. Have you looked into Israel becoming a nation in 1948 being prophesied to the day in the Bible? Uh, to my knowledge, it's not. Um, I guess I haven't really heard someone make a strong case for that, but not to my knowledge. Um, I mean, hey, that's awesome if it is, but I'm pretty careful about what I want to put out there as fulfilled prophecy because what will happen is I'll share it and then a skeptic's going to come and try to tear it apart and I want to make sure that I um, I have something that I can that, that can withstand the criticisms so that it might evangelize people and it might build up Christians and give them something solid to hold on to. So my opinion would be that's probably not the case but I haven't heard that and in, in my studies of looking for fulfilled prophecies, I'm surprised that I haven't come across that, actually, if that's the case. I'll take just a couple more, and then I'm going to call it a night. We've been going for, for a good long time, and I hope you guys have enjoyed this. It, depending on how well this does, I don't, I don't even know how many we've got with us today, but depending on how well this does, this kind of Q&A thing, I might do it more often, especially on weeks where I'm just really swamped and don't have the time to prepare uh, a lot of content. Um, TKUA says, uh, would you marry someone in your church if they were from a different denomination? Absolutely. I absolutely I would. But at the drop of a hat. <laughs> yeah, I have no problem with that. Um, um, 
let's see here. Uh, I had a question that came in through the email and the question was about marriage and it was like, Hey Mike, um, and I'll summarize cause it was actually a really long question. Um, and it was a little bit, well, a lot of questions in there, but the idea was, um, is, is sleeping with someone, does that just make you married? Is that just making you married? And I would say the answer to the Bible is in the Bible is clearly no. Um, even though two become one and even in you know, intercourse, there's something connecting the two people there because first Corinthians talks about like, don't you know the one who joins himself to a prophet? He's like one flesh with her. That doesn't make them married though. Because even in the old Testament, in the old Testament, it talks about how a man who like push forces himself on a woman, how the father it's up to the father, but they have the option of having the couple get married or not. Uh, that means they're not married at the point at which they have intercourse. So intercourse is not equal marriage. Um, I think that that seems clear in the scripture, but there's conventions around marriage about like the government or things like that. Uh, when I perform marriages, I don't say like by the power of the state of California and the U S government and my, you know, whatever. I, I don't say that. I, I always say personally, my, my thing I say when I do weddings is I say, um, because of your vows, dot, 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 you know, and your commitments to, to each other in front of these witnesses and before God, I now pronounce you man and wife. So I marry them on the basis of their vows and their commitment. And then that marriage takes place. Um, so hopefully that answers that question. And then I had another question. Um, let me find it real quick. That was also sent to me. This is from people who are overseas, like in Germany, and they're not able to watch the live stream while it's live because it's like crazy late in the morning and only Tom Sawyer is willing to wait up that late. Uh, <laughs> and Tom, he might be sleeping right now, but... Um, but usually he tries to make the stream, even though it's crazy late, but I had another question from somebody and let me find it real quick to answer that question. Just so that it'll be on this video. My computer is moving a little slow because of all this, uh, stuff. This is a question from Nikki and she asked, what is the godly and correct response to your close Christian friends who continually chase after mystical stuff and start going deeper and deeper into outright unbiblical and deceptive and, uh, and pursues things that are taking her way off course? She says she listens to what I have to say, but does the complete opposite. Um, let me assume, best case scenario, you're part of the same church. You've got, you already gone to her. You've talked to her multiple times. You've already approached her graciously, lovingly uh, to share with her. There's real doctrinal issues here. The next step is to find a godly member of the church, a godly person, prob you know, probably someone you can look up to and respect spiritually and say, can you talk with me? Have like an intervention. Like, let's talk together with my friend. But when you do this, you need to share with this person who's going to help you specific examples, not generalities, but really specific examples. Here's, here's the things that she said. Here's the things she's believing. And then go to her with a heart of compassion and love, checking yourself, like read Galatians 6, the first few verses of Galatians 6, to check your heart before you do this. Um, but I would involve someone from the church to be able to help bring her back because obviously you talking to her is not having enough of an impact. Um, okay, so I'll, I'll take, uh, say, just... Just one last question right here, and then we'll call it a night. Uh, government and Christianity. This is from uh, Tanya Montgomery. What do we, at what point do we stand up for our faith before it's taken away? Tony is asking, at what point do we stand up for our faith before it's taken away? As a Christian, I always stand up for my faith, even after it's taken away. 
that's how it is, right? I never stop. I never stop standing up for my faith, standing up for my trust in Christ, standing up as a representative of Christ. Um, and if, and if persecution or banishment occurs or YouTube blockage happens, or, which hasn't happened to me, but if that happens, you know, then so be it. I will always stand for Christ. Uh, he is Lord. Uh, come what may. Um, so we always stand. Now, if you're in a, in a, a country where you have the ability to fight, you know, in a godly way, to fight for the rights of others around you, like a democracy, then I think you should do this because you're being salt and light in your community. Um, although remember the main purpose of being salt and light is to spread the gospel itself. It's not, everything else is secondary compared to this gospel message. But if I can do things politically that help keep the door open for the gospel to be spread, then I'm having a positive impact on the gospel. So I, I think that that's a, a good thing as well. Um, you guys, uh, I think I'll, I'll call it for today. Um, I've had, I've had a really good time with you. This has been great for me because it's like, it's almost like a vacation. I'm not vacation. Actually, I've been studying for this prophecy, uh, message I'll be giving at the rethink conference this weekend, but, but to not have, you know, 20 plus hours of prep put into this live stream (laughs) made it really easy for me to like, make sure I had the lights on and stuff like that to just show up. So Thank you for joining me, you guys. If you have not seen um, the Passion Translation video I did last week, I really encourage you to check it out. Um, uh, James White is going to be refuting my video on on uh, Calvinism. Uh, this Thursday, I think he's going to be doing it. And I, let me give you my honest attitude as he does this. He's my brother in Christ. He's also, I'm just being honest, he's also my elder brother, not only in age, but in experience and, and wisdom and education and time in the word, and time serving the Lord. So I'm going to listen to his, his you know, response to me as though I have something to learn from it because I, may, I very well might, maybe I got something wrong. Maybe he's going to show me something I got wrong. But one thing I'm worried about is that he might misunderstand what I'm saying because he did a live stream today where he misunderstood what I was saying to, to uh, Sai. He, I think he was trying to kind of refute what I said about Romans 1, but the truth is, he misunderstood. He thought I was talking about suppression of the truth and unrighteousness when I was referring to the phrase haters of God. And that means everything he said just kind of like went past what I was saying. And that's unfortunate. Um, so I'm hoping that he'll be able to, uh, to get <laughs> Doug Pine Creek. <laughs> James White does not love you more than me. No, that's not true. Um, but I'm hoping he'll be able to respond to, to what I'm actually saying, because sometimes I say things in a very careful way. And then I don't, pause to explain all the details of why I put it in that way. And so perhaps my own fault, it might go past somebody. So uh, thank you all for being here. God bless you guys. Have a fantastic night. Uh, AJ, thanks again for being there in the chat to moderate. And um, yeah, I really appreciate, I appreciate you guys. So many of you, you love the word of God. You love the idea of just knowing what the text really says. You want to be teachable, not, not teachable, from me, so to speak. You want to be teachable to the text of scripture and that excites me. And there's some of you following who are watching my stuff and you're skeptics, but you're like going, hey, I'm, I'm listening, I'm considering, I'm thoughtful, and, um, and I'm, I'm very glad you're here. I, uh, oh, I, pray, I pray God does a work in your heart and brings you to the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. Um, it's true, it's all true. <laughs> so uh, thank you guys so much. Lord bless you and I plan on being back on next Tuesday most likely most likely there's so much going on right now that I can't
promise it, but I will make an attempt. So